Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded, a podcast all about creating visibility, paths for growth, and opportunity for entrepreneurs. We focus on those entrepreneurs who are statistically underrepresented in the startup ecosystem. Your hosts are Zena Island, president of X Plus PR, a media relations agency, angel investor Aurelia Flores, managing member of Athena Digital Media Group, a digital marketing agency, and angel investor Christina Francis, president of Esteem Logic, an information technology, consulting, and training firm. In each episode, you will meet a new startup founder, hear about their company and where they are now. We then focus on one key challenge facing that entrepreneur, a challenge that is common among startups. Each episode also features a guest expert to weigh in on the challenge. Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded. Welcome, this is Aurelia Flores, and we are excited to be talking about crowdfunding today. As we know, raising money can be challenging, and today's founders are often identifying hybrid funding opportunities. Donation, rewards, debt-based, and equity crowdfunding options are becoming more a part of the venture-backable space. And while business owners use crowdfunding to raise funds, they also use crowdfunding campaigns to do a number of things like create and test a beta product, perform market research, identify new customers, gain more traction for their company, or even to talk about what they're doing for marketing and PR purposes. Still, other business owners are using that as a complement to their fundraising strategies inside the venture backable space for operating funds, and sometimes, in which we will also discuss today, even as an alternative to raising money in the venture backable space. We are delighted to have two experts in this field join us for this episode. Hi, and this is Zena Island. I'm excited to introduce uh, one of today's guests, Deborah Owens, America's Wealth Coach. That's what she's known to America and also to me. She is a financial services veteran who teaches and speaks nationwide. You might have heard her on NPR, PBS, or NBC News. Um, excuse me, ABC News. She is an author of three books, A Purse of Your Own, Nickel and Dime Your Way to Wealth, and Confident Investing, which all three I've read. Great, putting a nice plug in. Uh, so check it out. She is currently hosting trainings for women entrepreneurs, how to raise money on the rewards-based crowdfunding site, I Fund Women. And we also have Michelle Hemish here, founder of Crowdfund Main Street. Michelle is a CEO and co-founder. Uh, she, with her partner, Jenny Casson, who we actually had on the show last year, last season, uh, they are both passionate about reducing the funding disparities between male and female-led companies and between white and minority-led companies in America. Crowdfund Main Street is a regulation crowdfunding platform governed by FINRA, where they are looking to bring a new type of investor to the table, and we'll talk about that during the show. Michelle has over two decades of experience practicing law in the areas of business, real estate, and succession planning. It was Michelle's work in these practice areas for her small business that grew her passion for entrepreneurship and wealth building. When the new law that allows anyone to invest in small business was implemented in 2016, Michelle felt called to focus her efforts on building a platform where triple bottom line companies could offer securities to investors interested in making self-directed investments that align with their wealth building goals as well as their social and environmental values. Welcome to the show, Michelle and Deborah. Thank you, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Crowdfunding actually has a long history. Um, we just want to kind of put a little bit of background to this. So we're going to give you a little bit of background about what we're going to talk about, a little bit of definitional background, and then jump into talking with our experts. Um, often in underserved communities, and many of you might have experience with this, the way people would start businesses was with the help, both monetary and non, of their close friends and family. One example of this is funding circles that have been um, in existence around the world and for as long as we can think about it, people have been you know sharing money and so forth um, circles called like banda in Latin America and US Latino communities but there are names for it in all sorts of countries around the world so very 
um, historically based. And in we, the black community, we had rent parties and <laughs> those sorts of things. <laughs> and West Indian yeah. Susu funds. Susu funds. Oh, yeah. Exactly. yeah, that's exactly. right. Susu and it's funds. in Korea and also all over the world. You can actually look it up on Wikipedia under Rotating Savings and Credit Associations. I would not have thought about it like that, but I was like, oh, okay. Um, so that's one way of raising capital. And crowdfunding, how we're going to talk about it today, of course, is raising capital usually in relatively modest amounts from larger, a larger group of people than in the traditional venture back space, right? So several hundred people as opposed to a dozen or several dozen people. And they're raising, in business, in crowdfunding, they're usually raising somewhere between several hundred dollars to several hundred thousand dollars. And we'll talk about the different platforms and usually in smaller increments, right? 500, sorry, $5 to maybe even up to $5,000 each, whereas in the venture backable space, generally a, the small check would be $5,000 and you may not even be able to invest at that small an amount. So we're gonna be talking about that a little bit. So the definitions, um, donation-based crowdfunding is any campaign where the donor does not receive a financial return. So the definition, rewards-based crowdfunding offers individuals contri contributing to the campaign a, war, a reward of some sort, usually a form of the product or service the company offers. We discussed a successful crowdfunding campaign that one of our prior guests ran for her company, Craft My Occasion, an online store that offers party supplies for children of color. And that was actually from episode number two of, um, of um, Give Found, Give Funded, so check it out. Um, from last year. Examples of platforms, Kickstarter was the original online crowdfunding site and is probably the largest site. Indiegogo is another well-known site. Deborah is going to speak to us today about I Fund Women. Another type of crowdfunding is debt-based crowdfunding where it creates a debt instrument that the donor company has to pay back under certain terms. I like to look, think of it as a loan <laughs> uh, to individuals. And examples of platforms are Lending Club, uh, and we also had Dr. Roshana Novellis on the show as well uh, from the first season. She's the founder and CEO of Enricher. Enricher is also a blockchain-enabled platform that's debt-based uh, crowdfunding, and so if you're looking for opportunities to uh, get funded through a debt fund crowd-based, de definitely look at her, um, her platform. And then, of course, we've got equity-based crowdfunding, uh, which allows investors to become part owners in the company to which they donate. And there are some examples of platforms with that, too. And just really quickly, I want to talk about some of the benefits of crowdfunding. So there's, we've talked about them already a little bit, but I'm just going to highlight them. Reach, presentation, right, having to put things together, PR and marketing, validation of concept, and efficiency. You're getting your, your message and your ask out to a lot of people in one place. Um, and then the final thing I want to mention before we kind of dive into all of our questions is last year, in 2018, the National Women's Business Council did two studies on crowdfunding using Kickstarter data and Kiva data. As we mentioned before, Kickstarter is the largest crowdfunding site. They've had about, well, well over 500,000 projects um, on, their, on their crowdfunding site. And so they did some data research on all of these um, variables and found that while women funders, at least on Kickstarter, tend to set lower goals than men, they are also more likely than men to raise money in excess of their funding goals, even in male-dominated fields such as technology. And the study found that while network size is of course important, it is not as important as how that network is leveraged, which makes a lot of sense, right? So the more that the opportunity was shared, the more likely it was to get funded, right? So what this means is that a founder does not have to have a huge network to be successful. And we've talked about this before, but I'll mention it again. They also found that in the first 30 days of the campaign, that's the most crucial time for a campaign for its success. And so we'll discuss that in a little more detail as well. And if you're interested in looking at that study in more full detail, it's on the National Women's Business Council site. Yeah, and I just want to add to one, and something that we talk about on the show quite often, and they brought this up in the study, was that the personal stories are a powerful tool. And so a lot of, when they look at the gender perspective, a lot of women who are doing crowdfunding have such amazing stories to tell. We talked about a few of them um, uh, last season. We're, we'll be talking more, but I thought that was interesting to bring out for the study itself, just the power of voice and the power of storytelling and amplifying 
why you're doing your business, amplifying how you got to your product or service, um, and then also amplifying your partnerships in that as well. And one of the other things about the study itself that I think was so interesting is that they really highlighted how important it was to have not only your story, but have your story in video. Exactly. So, you know, given the online nature of our world now, um, if you're going to do your, your a crowd, if you're thinking about doing a crowdfunding campaign, make sure to get prepared for video. And maybe Deborah can talk a little bit about that because I know iFundWomen, they work with each uh, founder to actually produce a well, video. Well, it's interesting. So um, we were talking a little bit about what is the average raise. And typically, believe it or not, the average raise on uh, for crowdfunding rewards-based is $1,000. Mm. Whereas on, um, uh, on iFundWomen, it's $5,000, right? But... That's why I loved the platform. I had looked at the other platforms like Kickstarter, like Indiegogo, and personally, I got overwhelmed by it. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess it's just like anything that you don't understand. Um, I thought, oh, well, I've got to do this. Well, how do I figure out what I'm supposed to you know, uh, use as a reward? And what I loved about the, this platform in particular is that you could actually buy additional services. So coaching and a, a lot of that came with being on the platform, but it was sort of do it yourself. But they, within a week, I had figured out what my rewards-based campaign would look like. I went up to New York, they shot, shot an excellent video uh, for one-tenth of what I had just paid for uh, a video campaign that we were doing. And that personal story and understanding your why, to your point, it was so uh, effective as I started to go out and network and uh, convey what the idea was. Because for me, I was building a prototype. And so often you feel like, oh, well, I don't have this prototype to show who's going to invest in me when I'm simply talking a concept that is not tangible. And yet, when I was able to show my why, which really what we were doing, I have an existing business, and we were really looking at a more effective way of scaling our services and making it so that the cost would come down and we could use our existing uh, content and structure, if you will, to create a similar outcome, but leveraging technology to do that, which is where the idea from the where, for, for our Wealthy You app came from. And so the way I like to explain it is Weight Watchers for Wealth Building. Mm -hmm. uh, a way, you know, my thought, that big idea really was, well, what are the two goals that people struggle with, right? And so it really is weight, right, and money. And so within that, and thinking about how can I reach more women and support them using uh, our content and our courses and that sort of thing, that was the idea for the Wealthy You app. But rather than me taking from our existing revenue stream and taking that risk, right, mm -hmm. with those, with those dollars, right. crowdfunding became an avenue to do that, to test it, to validate it. And the beauty of it was that when we built out our rewards platform, we basically used our existing services. So I, I already had books, and so we packaged a lot of um, our existing uh, uh, products and services to, to be the rewards. But to your other point was what I found is many people were betting on me and betting mm -hmm. on my story. So in many cases, people didn't even ask for a reward. Um, the other um, insight that I gained from crowdfunding was, I think you have a tendency to think that your friends and family, and those are going to be the people that support you, mm -hmm. when in fact it, were weak, it was weaker links for me. So it wasn't people that I directly knew, it was people that knew them. Hmm. And so there, what the I really extended network. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so I think you, uh, I think, you know, I come out of sales, I have an investment background and certainly I don't have any fear around asking people to invest in right. whatever. And I think that sometimes that can be a real impediment hmm. for women specifically having and the fear, having the fear of asking yeah. for, uh, uh, an investment. 
why don't you tell us a little bit about um, Crowdfund Main Street? Because I think the that platform is newer to the space, but it's also really challenging the status quo just, of, yeah, yeah just challenging kind of how we even think about crowdfunding can you talk and to investors us? and investors yeah can right. you talk to us a little bit right. about that right yeah the whole idea behind crowdfund main street is that we have we have a disappearing middle class both in the context of companies that are looking to get funded over the last several decades we've seen it get more difficult and, and you're right. We've had, it's as old as people have existed, that we have used our communities, our friends, and our families to do the kind of raising that we always needed to do, whether it was barn raising or uh, uh, chenchule uh, for the Pacific Islanders or some other form of raising has, has been around as old as time. And really, Crowdfund Main Street is taking that into the 21st century and that specifically not not a copy or a wannabe vc model but actually a return to that space where reciprocity really matters so that the companies that are coming into your community that are claiming to solve some of the our most systemic problems that these companies are coming in prepared to be good good citizens, in addition to stewarding that investor capital. So in order for that to succeed, yes, we do also have to look at the other side of the equation, because the sad thing is most people in our country who are not accredited investors have no idea that they have been boxed out of the ability to invest in small business as an asset class. So they may understand some alternative assets like real estate. Like may, maybe they have even some experience investing in real estate, but they don't even know that they're missing out on the ability to invest in small businesses as a way to build wealth. So crowdfund Main Street really feels like that almost is more important than putting the issuers on the platform because it is a way to teach communities that they have the opportunity to fund the kind of businesses that they want to see in their communities. Uh, Jenny and I uh, have founded Angels of Main Street as a companion to Crowdfund Main Street. It is, a, it is an investment education platform and club that is a very low bar. You don't have to be an accredited investor. The only thing you have to do is agree to invest $500 in the next year in a purpose-driven company. So it is those two things in tandem that we think will ultimately help us grow out this this opportunity we have that the Jobs Act has given us. But, but I think the other thing that I really want to be clear about here, which I think is so different than other crowdfunding platforms, is that on other crowdfunding platforms, like Deborah mentioned, the average raise is somewhere under $30,000, right? So if you raise $5,000 mm-hmm. or $15,000, you're doing phenomenally well, right? And then some mm-hmm. people raise $30,000 or whatever. And Crowdfund Main Street, you're having people raise a lot more than that, like double, triple, quadruple right. amounts, which right. I think is very, very different. Right. We have um, $105,000, $80,000 numbers in, in those neighborhoods and, in fact, have... Uh, offerings in the pipeline that we think will end up going much higher than that. But I think that that, a lot of that has to do with the fact that this is really an investment opportunity. Uh, In some ways, rewards-based crowdfunding relies on on people to be really unselfish and in their excitement about the company that they're supporting. In, in regulation crowdfunding, investment crowdfunding, you have an opportunity to share in that excitement financially as well. So Deborah, I want to go back because you mentioned about the you know the one thousand versus five thousand. Why do you think? Why do you believe that? Why do you think that's happening versus with I fund women the five thousand raising versus the one thousand with the others? Well, I think it's interesting. I think that women have a tendency to not stretch themselves, like as opposed to really looking at what are you raising money for and how much money do you really need. 
I think that part of that is on women not having the confidence to ask for more money. I think that's one aspect of it. I think the, the other aspect of it is that figuring out anything can be daunting, right? And if this isn't something you're, typically this is a woman who's either running her business or it's her side hustles and she's doing something mainstream and this is a dream that she wants to build on the side. And so I think there is a tendency because you have that lack of education and expertise not to uh, want to ask for more dollars. You know, if you look at the studies from women asking for raises and that sort of thing, I think that it is uh, kind of gender specific mm -hmm. and as someone who has a lot of you know who who has been an advisor to women we have a tendency to discount our value and and what we bring to the table and and I just want to kind of piggyback on what Michelle talked about that so many Main Street investors being on the outside looking in. I mean, that's really the reason I started Wealthy You was because every day a woman of color walks into a financial institution and because she does not have enough assets and now it's gotten even larger, 250,000 to a half a million, she's not even given the time of day or a financial advisor. And so the whole point of Wealthy You was to Michelle's point to give people access to this information and not feel like you have to have tens of thousands of dollars to even get into the get into the uh, to the game, if you will. And to Michelle's point, this lack of access to capital is is starving and 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 not allowing companies to thrive because there's so many hurdles that they have to go through the traditional route and then the other side of that is so many of the financing options for small minority-owned businesses, is, they're egregious in terms of their lending um, rates uh, that they lend money to. And that typically what happens is that the person that can least afford to pay the higher rates, whether it be an individual or a business owner, is then saddled with debt with terms that are going to make it more likely that they don't succeed. And so I really feel like the, the approach that Michelle is doing just in terms of democratizing uh, investors to uh, help these businesses get financing out of the traditional realm can only uh, serve uh, community organizations, community businesses uh, uh, better. Michelle, talk to us a little bit about, give us just a couple examples of folks that have been on Crowdfund Main Street. And if you want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, kind of what you and Jenny Kasson have been doing even outside of Crowdfund Main Street, it might be really useful for folks. And like Zena already said, go back, or Christina already said, go back and <laughs> listen to that um, episode. But, but I think it's so important as we're thinking about entrepreneurs raising money you can do this in or outside the venture backable space. So, Michelle, do you want to give us some examples? That's true. That's true. And uh, and as Deborah points out, women in particular, we work with a lot of women entrepreneurs, and women do have uh, baggage around money, talking about money, asking for money, feel the sense of worth. Uh, if if they have to raise money for their business, oftentimes they feel like they've done something wrong. We don't find that with white men. Uh, they don't. They don't have any problem asking for money because cult, they've been cultured to accept that as something that needs to happen when you're starting a business. We don't see that same culturing with regard to women. So we are we are definitely seeing primarily businesses that want to do something that is more than make money and that and that ranges from everything from the the bakery that is sourcing wheat from the local farmers within 50 miles of her business uh selling that to worker owners as a as a means of raising capital so that that business can then go on and be a part of the community to all the way to uh um, an AI company, say, that is working on democratizing 
the AI, as well as opportunity zones. Um, every state has designated an opportunity zone. There's a lot of tax incentives related to investing in our communities that need to be revitalized. Jenny and I are extremely active in meeting with cities uh, as well as organizations to help them craft the types of offerings that they'd like to see in Opportunity Zones. And of course, we focus primarily on how do we bring entrepreneurs that are already in these communities to the table and get them space because the danger of course with those opportunity zones is that they could otherwise be a license to gentrify so it's extremely important that the right people are involved in our opinion so that so that the kinds of companies we want to help the underserved the underrepresented those that would never qualify to get venture capital that those are the companies that we're seeing benefited by the work that's being done in these opportunity zones so I, I want to go back to something that you said. So, so one piece of this that's critically important is educating, right? It's educating both the founder on, you know, different platforms and ways of um, raising money. It's also important to educate individuals who may be able to contribute to crowdfunding. You know, that piece around opportunity zones that you just mentioned, I think, hits home to all of us. And so you mentioned having the Angels of Main Street as an education opportunity for the investors, but are you doing anything else in terms of educating, um, you know, just uh, reaching beyond that network to educate and or market to individuals uh, that may be interested in, in, in providing additional funds or investing? Um, yes, actually. In fact, that was one of the reasons that we wanted to start a fund, Opportunity Main Street, ourselves, because it allows us to combine. The platform itself is a little bit limited in what it could do. So going outside of crowdfund Main Street, um, starting a, a different entity, there was more flexibility and more power to bring different investment dollars to the table that could ultimately build out, help us build out the ecosystem. So, so if I knew 15 individuals that had, you know, I think you said your minimum was $500 that they would have to invest for the, the first year, what are some um, ways to market to them or lure them into feeling like, one, that give them confidence that this is something that they can do, sure. um, educate them that this is an opportunity to diversify the investments that they have, and then hopefully making this one of many investments that they make. What, what are ways that you would entice them, so to speak, to join? Sure. sure. We're preparing, almost finished with, uh, for example, a white paper on self-directed investing that includes both using your retirement accounts and just education around the terrifying concept of being self-directed, many people are nervous about making their own investment decisions. So building a community of people who are also in the same situation that you're in, where they're trying to, in the beginning, move a small portion of their portfolio into what we will call impact uh, or purpose types of investment. You will have a community, we get on calls, uh, once a month, we have Zoom calls. We're doing a live event in Oakland next Wednesday where we will actually be trying out a little bit different style. We'll bring the community together, try to get people there who have never thought of themselves as investors. In addition to the angels and some of the more professional investors that we have, the idea is that if we mix these people together, then everybody is more it's like a jury right all these minds together are so much greater than any one individual and it also takes away some of the burden of evaluating if somebody who's more skilled than you can tell you what that convertible note means or what that revenue share note looks like and what that actually means how to read those financial projections what are they really saying here um, you know, what, what is my, what's going to be my internal rate of return or uh, things like that, that, that people who don't self-identify as investors might need the support that comes with an education platform. That's a piece that we're really excited about. 
from my perspective, what I've seen of Crowdfund Main Street and what you and Jenny have been doing more generally is a really broad education around kind of how we think about investing both on the investor side and on the entrepreneur side. I mean, it really is kind of challenging the space. Like we're here as Get Found, Get Funded to really kind of disrupt the venture backable space. Like that's our, our interest as far as this podcast, but I think more generally, we're really interested in disrupting the, the larger space also, right? Having investors be able to think differently, having entrepreneurs be able to think differently. Um, and I think what I've seen you guys do really um, that you're very committed to is do is do invest uh, sorry and do education on both sides of that for both the entrepreneur and the investor, which I think has been really cool. Thank you. So, so one thing I'm interested in, and Deborah, this might be more for you, but Michelle, jump in here as well. So, as you, so one of the thing, things that works with crowdfunding is that you can get as many people backing your idea up to the um, fund level that you se- you've uh, set. But what's the proper protocol in actually communicating updates to your backers? Is that something that you incorporate as part of your plan? I know just from an angel investment, we, we have quarterly updates with our um, with the individuals that we invest in. But do you have something similar for the backers with the crowdfund, or how does that work? Well, that's interesting. The way we structured my crowdfunding, so my raise was $30,000. Mm-hmm. That was to build the prototype. Mm-hmm. And so within that, we had a private Facebook group mm-hmm. that those funders could join, and we literally keep updating them on where we are in the process. Because the goal really to um, Aurelia's point earlier, so you know the different ways, the different reasons you would crowdfund. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was the prototype, and then uh, what what was uh, what was really effective is then you bought into the idea. Now, would you become a beta tester for the right. idea? So I think that is a, a wonderful way, right, of engaging mm-hmm. that um, that those round of fund those initial funders, mm-hmm. right. Uh, they believed in the idea now and keep them updated and incorporated. We hit a few snags, so we're still developing mm-hmm. prototype. And so even within that Facebook group, group it's keeping them apprised. I think the other um, uh, uh, wonderful way that you can leverage this as well is to really think long term. Mm-hmm. So one of the questions that uh, Aurelia had earlier were how many people go on to raise more money, right? right? So. This could really be a great base through which you're kind of developing a community around um, your purpose-driven company, Mm -hmm. right? Which is certainly the the type of company that I had, to Michelle's point. And then those same people, if I wanted to uh, now needed more funding to build out that platform, or now you've got to go on and you've got to, uh, now we want to you know, we need to go enterprise, that's going to take more capital because of more users, right. then you can start looking at, um, I'm, I'm very intrigued by what uh, Michelle is uh, um, uh, sharing. So that gives me an opportunity to say, oh, well, maybe, uh, depending upon how much capital we need to build out the platform, maybe going with the main street would be another way. So, so what I really want to encourage any person listening to this podcast is to think long term, Mm -hmm. right? You know, you could be building your own kind of investment fund for your business that if you keep those people engaged as you, you know, maybe go through a Michelle or maybe you are, you've gotten to the point where you do want angels or 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 or, or a, a, a seed rounding mm-hmm. that this could really be a way of cultivating right. that um audience that will stay with you as your business grows and as you develop more products so what it sounds like to me we're talking about different touch points all, all the way around for both platforms yes and with your platform even though you fundraise you made your thirty thousand dollars which i know you have and but at the same time you created a, a private facebook group absolutely and you create created that community what other touch points are you using to stay in touch with those folks so that as you mentioned it was your um your secondary level that really gave towards your um, program uh, to your, I don't want to use Kickstarter, but for our I Fund Women program, how do you stay in touch with those people to continue to grow those relationships and cultivate them so that they well, will 
Absolutely. To, well, to the other, you know, what I'm really excited about is that was organic, right? So those same people that invested in the idea also became a part of Wealthy You. They're on our mm -hmm. newsletter list. They So it, it's also another way of marketing mm -hmm. your business, right? So we're not you know, it's not like you've got to compartmentalize. Uh, it's a another strategy for that is, particularly with re rewards-based uh, crowdfunding, our biggest, um, our most successful reward was we we cut our coaching, uh, one of our coaching packages by 50%. We had no idea that that would be the biggest um seller mm -hmm. and as a result it caused us to really think about our price point and product market fit right so within this whole I, I what i really want uh the the listeners to understand is that the crowd the the crowd fund raising funds that is just a touch point right mm -hmm. like in in the evolution of your business and if you tell a compelling story and people believe in the mission and what you're trying to accomplish, you're not only going to attract them as potential investors, but also potential customers as well. So really think more broadly about uh, how you can leverage this opportunity while meeting your immediate need, but also knowing that in the future, these are also people that you can de develop more relationships with. Right. So really building your community and your customer base. Yes. You know, um, so we've talked a little bit about kind of the overarching options, kind of how we think about them, how crowdfunding might be democratizing um, investment, possibly, hopefully. Let's talk a little bit about how to do crowdfunding well. Like, what is it that what that somebody needs to think about if they're going to do crowdfunding? Because it's not just, you know, pick a site, which now there are literally dozens of sites out there, and slap up a picture and, you know, do a video on your iPhone in two seconds and then go. I mean, there's, there's some more thought process to this. And um, Michelle, I know your platform, there's a lot more that you have to do in advance. So let's talk right. a little bit about kind of what, what goes into this actual process. Well, for the first, the first thing that we, we do, which is, is not typical necessarily, is we really want to work with the entrepreneur to help them craft an offering. It, uh, when, you, when you do a lot of professional investing, when you go to professional investors, oftentimes what you're, what you're doing is you're getting, you're receiving a term sheet. You're being told what the terms of that capital mean to you, what it's going to cost you to get that money. Just to, Our, just to, clear, just to be clear who the you is, you, what you're saying is an entrepreneur is given the terms, and from your guys' site, you're allowing the entrepreneur to craft the terms. Yes, we, we encourage the entrepreneurs to actually figure out what would be the, the ideal terms and the ideal investors for them. One of the reasons that we do that is we feel like this will help us bust the myth of the fact that small business is so risky. Improperly capitalized business is really risky, but properly capitalized businesses have a much higher likelihood of succeeding. So if you are participating in a process that allows you to understand what it is you're asking from investors, and you've thought about how you're going to exit those investors, you are much more likely to own that to understand it so that when you do your quarterly communications, you are, you're learning as you go. You know, we tell people all the time, if you are the CEO of your company, your first and foremost obligation is to capitalize it. So even if you hate this component where you have to go out and, and get investment dollars, you have to, you know, embrace this process as the learning opportunity that it is for you to get clear about your future, get clear about what you need capital for, how much capital you need, and how you're going to steward that money and pay off your investors. Those things will help you as a leader in your company without you even worrying about that. You don't have to worry about that. You will grow as a leader of your company. So I think Deborah was making the point, too, that this is an opportunity to embrace the process. And 
fundraising is just one of the pieces, one of the many, many things that you will need to do as the leader of your company. Other things that you need to know if you're doing good crowdfunding? Well, I want to, you know, talk talk about just process, right, and um, and structure. And one of the reasons I became an iFundWomen um, certified coach was I wanted to share with other women how to do it effectively because I saw so many uh, not meet their goals and give up. And so within uh, one of the things that um, Zena mentioned was that I've been doing some entrepreneurial boot camp. So I'm actually conducting a boot camp around this process. So the first thing in the, it's a, a, a four week boot camp, and the first week we really get on underneath that why. What is the compelling story that you are going to convey to your potential funders, right? And then within that, the next strat the next part of that, once we understand what that why is, then the next part of that strategy is really mapping out your network. Right. And so a network is not only, uh, you know, friends and family, but it's how do you leverage the different platforms? So for me, I had a pretty big Facebook personal group as well as a business page. But the way I interacted with those two uh, audiences was quite different. Right. Uh, and because of the way the algorithm is uh, for Facebook is, uh, uh, I don't uh, want to talk about that. Yeah, at any, so I just yeah exactly right. <laughs> but no, but I mean, literally, I took what I tell women is every day you have to send ten personal messages to people. You may have thirty four hundred friends, but guess what? None of them is seeing the fact that you have a crowdfunding campaign. So I had a certain strategy for Facebook. I had a certain strategy for LinkedIn. I had a certain strategy for my business page. And Twitter, I have a pretty big Twitter following. So it really was mapping out that strategy. Uh, the next part is creating that rewards-based um, you know, how do you figure out what rewards should mm -hmm. you, you offer? And, you know, you may, you, you, like, I, I didn't realize, I thought that I needed these physical products. No, what people, um, so let's say if you, if you are bakery, you know, certainly cookies are one part of that, but what if you were to say you would, uh, help with a fundraising campaign or something? So it's really being more creative. Mm -hmm. Uh, around and, and understanding what might compel your audience to give. And then finally, to Aurelia's point, that video is so key uh, uh, on, uh, on, on the digital platforms because when you reach out to those people and you say, uh, you know, you're giving these little notes, I mean, these notes, you know, two word. I'm reaching out to people. Hey, this is Deborah Owens. I'm, I'm, I'm building this app here. Click here and see more about it. That video can go a long way of um, making a per personal connection mm -hmm. with that person who's just uh, learned about your platform. It also I, makes it easier for those in your network who want to forward it to others in their network. Totally. It makes it super easy. Mm -hmm. But this one, I'm, I'm want to know, how come they allowed you, now they allow, but they gave you the opportunity to come up to New York, correct? To tape the video, whereas with some of these other platforms, rewards-based platforms, you have to hire someone. Right. So this so, is, it is a part of a packaging, just understanding to Aurelia's point, if you're going to be effective. And it, when they look at, if you look at the women on iPhone, women who raise the most money, they invest in that bundle and mm -hmm. they they raise five mm -hmm. years, five times more. So the average raise is 5K on iPhone women, women who do that video package, the coaching and the structure, the boot camp that I'm talking about, mm -hmm. raise five times as more. So uh, I think, you know, m many, I, I ran into a woman who was on, is it what is it Kickstarter where you have to get all of your money or yes. you don't get any of yes, it? Yes, it's Kickstarter. She raised sixty eight thousand dollars, but her raise was ninety eight thousand dollars, mm. so she got none of it. And you know, it just made me sick to my stomach, right? And so I think what is important, and the other thing is, let's say you hit that goal of thirty yeah, grand. Me, if you wanted to go further, you could, right? Mm -hmm. I just wanted to pause you because I think it's a really important um, point to make, just with crowdfunding platforms, that there are two business models. One is 
the all or nothing and the other is keep it all, right? Yep. And so you brought that point up. I just want to make sure our listeners understand that. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, understand the fine print, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and go on a platform that you really feel like you're going to be successful on. And don't feel like, you know, the one myth that I want to dispel, if I dispel none other, is that you're going on a large platform is going to give you more opportunities to meet your goal. That couldn't be further from the truth. What I would like to convey is that so much of your success is going to be uh, uh, based on your ability to tell a compelling story Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. to uh, engage people in a way, in a very authentic way, where they're investing in you so you know we can let's take rewards off of the table let's let's just strip that down at the end of the day people are investing in you and your vision and your ability to uh make that vision a reality and so that's what i really want to leave this audience with is understanding that and i think something else that you said that i want to be really clear about which is any platform you go on, the platform does not do the work. Right. You mm-hmm. still have to do the work. Mm-hmm. Right? So you have to share with your friends and yeah. you have to share with your friends' friends. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. where you make the money. It's not in getting on and expecting people to come to you. That's not going to happen. And I want to um, anchor something else that both Deborah and Michelle have said, and then I'll ask you a specific question, Michelle, which is, Another piece of this preparation is the mental preparation. Mm-hmm. And emotional, mental emotion. Yeah, just the mental, the internal, you know, the guts preparation, whatever you want to call it, right? Um, and so I think it's really important that you get prepared, an entrepreneur gets prepared as they are going to do this exercise, that it's going to take a lot of fortitude to ask and ask and ask and ask mm-hmm. and ask again and that's part of and maybe get rejected in the process can i make going. one point too sure. it literally takes seven touches right to get someone to buy and so although i said that's, that that's a salesperson I, for right you. <laughs> so although i said that i sent these 10 messages a day if i didn't get some kind of response back to them I waited a week and I said, oh, I'm not sure if you got my personal message, Mm -hmm. but again, I just, you know, we've got my campaign ends in X, Y, Z, create a sense of urgency around that. And I can't tell you how many people said, oh, Deb, I'm so uh, sorry. I forgot. I meant to go and Mm -hmm. I didn't. So you also (laughs) utilize other social media. I saw yours on on, uh, LinkedIn. Yes. My favorite social media (laughs) platform. Um, And so you made sure that it was in the in the front of the people that you needed to actually help you. And, and I think you did a great job communicating, which is why you were successful. Michelle, would you like to add anything to what Let we're Let me saying? just jump in to, to, to <laughs> Deborah's stat really fast, <clears throat> because I think this is really important. We used to hear that it would take seven, seven. touches to buy. I have now seen stats that it's 17 oh, touches no or 37, 37 touches if you are trying to quote unquote sell or get somebody to take an action online. Wow. And the reason for that is because our digital focus is so splintered. Mm -hmm. I mean, just as an example, name me one ad that you saw online in the last 24 hours. Just one. I've seen so many. Right, but most people can't even remember remember. one. I I know I saw one. It was for getting stronger abs. And maybe because (laughs) that is what I'm focused on right now. (laughs) But the the point being that you need to ask and ask and ask and ask and get get way past seven times, particularly if you're asking online with with this kind of crowdfunding thing. So I think people have to be prepared for that. Michelle, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I know you were going to answer some of that. The digital marketer. All, all this stuff is, is entirely true. And in fact, one of the reasons that you want to be prepared and have a plan mapped out for your time that you're going to be live. So we generally say you need to be working in the month before you launch. Mm-hmm. You have to be using that month to map out the 30, 60 days, whatever it is, the length of your campaign so that when you feel demoralized because you haven't gotten an answer yet, uh, you know, things like that, that you you can look to your plan and just go through the motions. You don't, if you wait until you feel like going back out there again, you're going to wait weeks. 
So, so you have your you have your plan mapped out so that you know this week you're doing this, this week you're doing that, and that really doesn't change. It forces you to execute on that plan that you've made. And you know, I, we have this. In fact, we're doing this interesting event on Wednesday. There's a woman who. Uh, who I, I've been to a couple of her salons and her t- you, people who are raising money are going to love this. It's all about asking like an auctioneer. Mm-hmm. You you don't ask, her name is Dia Bondi, she's excellent. You don't ask, the theory is, you're not, you're looking for the no. In other words, most of us are terrified of the no when we ask for money, right? We're looking for investments, we're terrified of those no's. In Dia's model, Dia's method, you are looking for the no. Because you want to know, are you in or are you out? Because of all that time it takes you to even get an answer. And then when you get an answer, how long does it take you to get that check? Mm. It's, right. It does not end. It, <laughs> that chasing people does not end throughout the whole process. So the more, the more you know, kind of pit bully you can be about it in terms of your plan, the better. You don't even have time to be nervous. You're just busy executing. <laughs> so we're going back to our episode from two weeks ago or a couple of weeks ago we did with Sharifa. You have to be fearless. And that's one of the things they talked about were, were millennials, how fearless they are and they just don't care. And so we all have to, that, I'm speaking for myself, all have to take on that fearless attitude so that um, you don't get, you know, discouraged. Right, Deborah? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I would say this. I think that what's important is that you are not afraid to ask and there is a way to ask fearlessly but kindly, mm-hmm. right? And so what I tr- whenever I at- made an ask and then I followed up, my my initial that follow up would go something like this. Hey, just following up. I'm not sure if you were able to get an opportunity to take a look at what I sent you. So I think what you what you don't want to do is make people feel like you're. I think there's a there's a way to do anything gracefully. Is mm-hmm. the point that I want to make, mm-hmm. and that I I feel like um, as long as you uh, frame it in that way that then it's not as discouraging either and that you don't mind asking for that third or fourth time. If you do it in a kind way, and I can't tell you how many people, I mean, someone invested $1,000 that I didn't know. She was just a friend of a friend. And when that $1,000 came in, I was like, whoa. And and her note was, I just love what you're doing Mm -hmm. and I want to invest in your vision. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, to that point, I do think that, yes, you have to be fearless but you can do it fearlessly and gracefully mm-hmm. and that in the long run, that is what is going to allow you to achieve your goals. Can I also say that I think from, I, I, you know, Michelle actually brought this up early on that, that women aren't trained to ask for their businesses in the same way. We're like, hey, would you want to give us money? But honestly, for a founder, we are in love with our businesses. We, this is our passion, this is our mission. We are absolutely committed, go to the mat for our businesses. So to ask somebody to invest is a gift. It's actually a gift to invite somebody in to be an investor. And absolutely. so, so you're true. not saying, hey, you know, with your handout, you know, please may I get some dollars from you and this is, you know, and out of the goodness of their heart, right? And I think that's the other piece of, you know, uh, um, let's say an equity-based site. It's like, I am giving you the opportunity to be a part owner and to grow with me, or in your case, Deborah, in the rewards-based funding, I'm giving you the opportunity to be part of this vision that I am enacting, and it is a gift. And that's why the why is so important. Mm-hmm. If I can't say that enough. When, when, you, when you're not framing something as, I gotta make my goal, help me make my goal, but when you, when you are able to frame it in the way that, listen, I wanna make investing uh, accessible 
to, to people of all incomes, would you join my mission to do that? I think that that takes it off of you and helps you to, to sell a bigger, your bigger vision, it's your reframing, mission. It's reframing your mission mm -hmm. statement, right, for the impact that you're providing. And I think that for the social impact, and that's why a lot of people are drawn to it, because they see that it's not just about you, although you are going to make this successful, but it's about how many other lives you're going to touch, and everyone wants to be a part of that. Absolutely. So I think one other um, question that I have, or not even question, just kind of thought, um, and, and this is a question for both of you guys to answer, is as people are preparing, someone who's listening to this show right now, and they're thinking of how they can be creative and create a hybrid funding approach to funding their mission, their dream, and they haven't started yet, what is one piece of advice that you would give them? Because maybe they even, they're not at the point of what crowdfunding uh, platform should I use, but they're just at, should I start and how do I start? What, what's your piece of advice for them? Uh, I'll start. I, I, I love this question. I think it's where we begin with anything is it's 10 years from now. What happened? Right. Mm -hmm. So I really want women to take a, a longer view, right, about if you could create the perfect outcome, what would happen? And because I, that for, for their I, life, perfect outcome for their life for this, for this venture, for this, right? Venture. Like, okay. so you're thinking of an idea, right? And so if you were to execute on this idea, it's 10 years from now, mm -hmm. what does it look like? Right. And that allows you to create a very big vision and then walk your way back from it. My vision was, my vision is that I want to help a million families reach seven figure wealth, right? And 10 years ago, that vision was, I wanna financially empower people, right? Mm -hmm. So that was not tangible and specific enough. Mm -hmm. And so I needed to get specific, right? So one of the things, the metrics uh, behind that, it now allows me to now, you, so the app will allow me to touch that many people, right? And influence it and it makes it possible, mm -hmm. right? So now that I can walk my way back through that, that gets me excited every day, that big vision. So I really believe that's the first thing, you know, we've heard, um, you know, had, I think it was Jim Lewis that says, have a big hairy goal or something like that, talking about the, uh, I'm sorry, it was Jim Collins, uh, good to be great, the greatest business. I think you've got to have a big, hairy mission in front of you and that that is the first thing that I was going to do if I were going to begin. Michelle, any comments on that? Right. The What does that path to success look like and what are the steps to actioning your values? Mm -hmm. I think that includes knowing what we, we alluded to this a little bit, knowing your financials, knowing the knowing the picture for you financially for what you need to get to the next step. Oftentimes we have people come to us and say, how much can I raise? Well, you can raise up to a million seventy. Okay, I'll raise that. It, but you, you know, companies need to be aware of the fact that just because you have a million dollars doesn't mean you are positioned to implement that money and to and to make a go of it why would you want more money that costs you money than you actually need to get to your next level so i think that that becomes a really huge factor for somebody who's just thinking about it and there's lots of free resources for for helping people who don't have the skill you can use the fbdc's and other incubators and and, and whatnot if that's not your strength to help you get clear on your financials and I think, Michelle, what you just brought up is so important, is that there are different times for these different platforms, right? So you might start with a rewards-based platform that, or a donation-based platform that is just kind of dipping your toe in the water. You're not sure you're wanting to build a community, whatever. And then when you're really sure that you want to take on, you know, investors and you want to kind of grow and have a larger amount, of capital that you're raising, then there might be a, a different platform that's ready for you. And so there's a lot of Absolutely. different places that this works. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, our best, some of our best people are exactly those people who have done rewards-based crowdfunding. They understand it. They have done that work. 
and they they are not not coming into this with blinders on they know exactly what they're going to have to do is that a next step a good next step do start off with the rewards based fund uh crowdfunding and then move into what you're doing i think it really depends on where you are i think that's an individual business decision for somebody who really needs some some traction and doesn't really have uh, a, a solid proof of concept that might be more difficult for someone to invest in even even more slowly because the thing is you you're not going to be very good at figuring out what an exit for your investor is if you haven't gone far enough to really know you know what what that market creation is what kind of market do you have the potential to create and maybe you don't you know no one's saying you have to have exponential growth maybe you have more modest growth but if you don't understand what what the market is or the market that you're creating you're not going to be able to 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 know those things well enough to get somebody to look at your investment opportunity and say yeah that that sounds really good they're going to have nothing but questions for you I think this goes back to um, something I think, Deborah, that you mentioned earlier, just in terms of um, kind of knowing what you want to get out of, out of the experience. So I've known uh, uh, founders who have raised um, you know, $900,000. They have revenue of $3 million and decided to do a crowdfund for a small amount. And the reason is to what you mentioned is around they knew that they needed to rebuild a community. They had a new offering that they were going to introduce to the market, and they wanted to get feedback on it. And so I think part of this, too, and Michelle, to your point, is knowing what you're looking for, knowing what you need, and then making this part of a long-term plan and not just a short-term strategy to just raise money. Because I think the, the strength and depth of crowdfunding is beyond the money. It's the community. It's the feedback that you're getting. It's everything um, that we've mentioned um, on this call. Absolutely. So we are so excited to have you guys both with us today and, you know, to talk about crowdfunding because I think we've covered a lot of um, different topics inside of crowdfunding, right? They, a little bit about the history of crowdfunding and the definitions inside of crowdfunding. We've talked about different kinds of platforms and we've even referenced at least a couple of our prior guests who have used crowdfunding as a mechanism to um, get initial traction or they're making it available to more folks. We talked about some of the reasons for that, um, some of the research behind some of the crowdfunding, and then what you need to do to actually do crowdfunding itself, in addition to kind of thinking through what some of the different options might be from a philosophical perspective, right? <laughs> so um, Deborah really encouraged us to get really clear about our big why, which I think is so important. And what I loved about what Michelle said was that you start a crowdfund with crafting the terms and your ideal your ideal clients, your ideal customers. Who's, who do you want to be really taken with and invested in this idea, whether it's with money or, or not, right? So um, before we go, is there any last words that you guys would like to say? And make sure and tell people how to find you as well. So Deborah, I'll start with you. Any last words and how do we find you? My last words is that don't allow fear of failure to prevent you from starting and executing on your idea. Uh, the best thing that you can do is try, and you're gonna learn so much from the process. So what I wanna leave our listeners with is you never lose, you only learn. And whether or not you're considering a rewards-based crowdfunding uh, campaign or maybe you're looking at other ways to raise capital, the key is it, as you start the process and gain clarity and then you build a strategy, that in itself is going to diminish a lot of the fear that you may have. So bottom line is just start. So anyone can reach me through... Uh, WealthyU.com or DeborahOwens.com. They can Google me. I, I often tell people my life's an open book. Mm -hmm. And I really would like to encourage them if they are considering 
crowdfunding, please uh, reach out to me because we have a, a number of different trainings that we're partnering, particularly in the DMV. Uh, Hera Hub, where I'm a member of, uh, will be doing some trainings there. So I'd really look forward to hearing from anyone who is listening to this podcast. Great. Michelle, any last words? And how do people find yeah. you and find out more about Crowdfund Main Street? Sure. Uh, crowd, uh, you can, anyone can reach me at michelle at crowdfundmainstreet.com. I would encourage everyone, particularly issuers, companies looking to raise money, to start viewing themselves as investors. There's nothing like walking in the shoes of an investor to start to understand that landscape. And we all invest every day by the way we spend our money. We all pick the kinds of companies that we see in our communities. We pick what happens in our world, even though sometimes we feel powerless, <laughs> by the money that we spend. So anyone can be an investor. And just because you're raising money doesn't mean you have a buy. In fact, you more than anyone should be investing a small amount of money in another sister's or brother's mission-driven enterprise that you think is bringing something really amazing to the world. So I would encourage everyone to be an angel whether it's an accredited investor doing angel, pipeline angels or whether it's an accredited or non-accredited investor doing angels of Main Street at angelsofmainstreet.com. That's awesome. Well, thank you both again for being with us. We hope you appreciated this episode on crowdfunding. And check us out on Twitter, on Facebook, at our website, and also don't miss an episode.